Since the first confirmed American case in January, the coronavirus has killed nearly 200,000 and infected 6.5 million people in the U.S. The numbers are staggering. But within those grim statistics are also the 2.5 million Americans who had COVID, but for the most part recovered. The survivors. Some had few, if any, symptoms. Others felt they barely escaped the virus alive. I got into the ambulance and um, I prayed so hard that, you know, I come back home. And though there is no universal coronavirus journey, in this episode, we hear from three of those survivors about what it was like to have COVID-19. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Why getting better is an ongoing process. It's not easy after and you start to recover. You still have that fear. And how differently COVID affects each person. We can describe symptoms that are common and related, but your personal experience is so vastly different than mine, than to yours, than to anyone else's. From the PBS NewsHour, this is America Interrupted. I'm Stephanie Sai. Abby, Lizzie, and Owen, thank you so much. For I got on a Zoom call with Owen Kelsey, Lizzie Caravello, and Albaline, or Abby Caraballo. Abby is from Verona, New Jersey. She works as a police officer and nurse's aide in a mental hospital, and she's a mother of four. One of the things um, I understand from the three of you is you all got COVID around the same time in March, but you all had really different experiences. Um, Albaline, I understand you had a pretty serious journey through COVID. So let's start with you. Walk me through what you felt physically and mentally when you were going through COVID. Well, on um, March 24th, I woke up with a headache and the headache was very severe that it felt like I had fluid in my head that was running into my um, left side of my ear. So I laid back down for like two hours. And when I woke back up again, it felt like my left side went numb. So I called my husband and I told him, I said, I think I need to call the doctor because I thought at the time I was me, I was probably having a stroke. Wow. So I called my primary physician and he said, just go to the hospital. So I got to the hospital and within like a couple of minutes, they saw me and immediately they said, you need to go home and quarantine for 14 days and you have to um, go get this medication, which was an antibiotic. So that's what I did. Um, The next day I woke up. I started to feel cold and hot. I think it was like the third day I lost my sense, my taste and my um, smell. Um, So by like the fourth day, I got this cough, this uncontrollable cough. And every day I got just progressed to get worse and worse and worse. By the 30th, the middle of the evening, I want to say it was about eight o'clock my daughter came in the room to check on me and as she came in the room to check on me um, she noticed that I was laying in the bed and I couldn't get up but as soon as I moved I started coughing and gagging um, to a point where I couldn't breathe I asked her to escort me to the bathroom so she came in and she did my husband then came into the bathroom at that time I started to vomit 
I lost control over everything. I lost control over my urine and bowels. I couldn't breathe. And so my daughter called 911. When 911 got here, they took my oxygen level. All I heard the young lady say is that you have to go. You have to go to the emergency room. Yeah. So my my husband escorted the ambulance and the police officers outside with me. And um, they stopped him and told him, they said, you can't go with her to the hospital. So that was the most scariest I'm feeling. I got into the ambulance and um, I prayed so hard. I'm sorry. Hey, that's okay. This is an intense experience um, to recount. I prayed so hard that, you know, I come back home. All I wanted to do is go home. You can see people on respirators. All the doors are clear. So you can see, you know, I thought I was sick until I got into the hospital. So there were so many people there that were sick. And it was a shame because we were all alone. Like you didn't have anybody to hold your hand when they had to come take your blood or when they had to hook you up to oxygen. So it was it was a little scary for me. So by that time, they told me that my doctor had called. He had ordered um, a COVID test and that COVID test um, came back positive. It was a rapid test. Um, so what they did is I asked him, I said, do I need to stay in the hospital? Because if I really don't need to stay in the hospital, I would like to come home. They said, if we bring your oxygen level up, you can go home. So by the morning, my oxygen level went back up. They sent me home with a a medication to open up my lungs. And um, once I came home, I think I slept like 16 hours straight. Wow. Um, So... By my 13th day of quarantine, I came out the room for the first time and I kind of looked at my husband. He was at the dining room stool and he looked sick. So I said to him, I said, you know, you don't look good. So he went to the doctor and of course he tested positive. Now at that time, I really started to freak out because I wasn't better yet. And my daughter had to take full responsibility of her 11-year-old brother and a baby. And when she found out my husband had COVID was one of her breaking points. Um, How did she react when she found out? She was just crying. And I said, why are you crying? And she said, because you're never going to get better. So I explained to her, I said, listen... I'm a strong person. I'm a fighter. I said, I'm going to get better. We're going to get through this. So from that point on, I knew, like, I'm a stubborn person. So I had to involve other people. Now, I had to call friends and tell friends, look, I'm sick. I need your help. And that's, like, the worst thing ever for me. (laughs) To have to ask for help? (laughs) Yeah. So I had to call on two friends, um... Uh, two male friends that I call my big brothers. And what they did was amazing. They made sure, like, if my daughter had to go grocery shopping, he took her. Um, and as far as, like, uh, the other two kids, 
my 11 year old which i did not know he said he used to come to the door every night and watch me to make sure i was breathing yeah as a mother abby i i imagine you're so used to taking care of every single thing in the house you just seem like one of those moms it must have been really hard to feel powerless in that way yes it was very hard and that's why i said the hardest part is i'm stubborn and my pride is first like no one comes to come in my home and take care of my kids but I had to let everything down just so I can survive and have my husband survive and my kids survive at the time. Lizzie, I want to go to you next. Um, Abby's story was obviously really serious and involved. Um, Did you hear aspects of her story that resonated with you or did you have a really different experience with COVID? Bits and pieces for sure. I think the having to give up control in some ways and not really understanding what was happening and being confused about a lot of things. Um, Lizzie Caravello is a nurse in Philadelphia who works in a transplant unit. She's also a half marathon runner. So I got sick around the same time as you, Abby, around March 16th, March 17th. And um, I remember waking up in the morning and just everything hurt and ached kind of like a flu, but I remember just waking up and looking at my fiance and saying, I think I have COVID. And it's kind of a running joke in my life that I'm kind of a dramatic person, which is fine with me. So he (laughs) he just kind of laughed at me and I said, no, I'm serious. And um, I went and got a test and it was still on the phase where it took a few days to come back. So in that kind of really troubling time of that not knowing, You just lay on the couch and do the best that you can to take care of yourself and not really know what it is. Um, It felt like a fever, like I had the shivers and the shakes, um, and I was just miserable. I didn't really talk. Um, And then two or three days later, my fiancé did get it. And um, the weird thing was that I got better after six or seven days. I felt fine, and... I think I ran like three or four miles and had texted my sister-in-law, who's the runner, and said like, oh yeah, I feel great. And she kind of told me like, yeah, just like take it easy, go slow. I remember like we were cleaning like the walls in the house. Like I wanted to scrub COVID out of the house and be clean. Like that's how good I felt. And then maybe like the 14th or the 15th day, it just hit me like a pile of bricks. Like a second wave? Yes. And I just, I just like, bawling. I was just so frustrated. I was like, are you kidding me? The second wave of my illness, I was sick for like five or six weeks where I didn't really leave bed. And that just consisted of um, like debilitating migraines. The headache is just nothing. It's like a monster. I didn't leave bed. I was throwing up and it was just like the worst experience. Like I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I would think as a nurse, you would sort of be able to treat yourself more than the average person. And even then, it sounds like you didn't get much relief, even with the access to your knowledge and your network. Yeah, I mean, I tried my best. I did actually go to the emergency room. My blood pressure was like in the 80s. And um, that was just on my own. I didn't drink enough water, I think. And they gave me fluids and stuff like that. And then I was really, just because it's such a new virus, it's just so unknown that Sure. I, I was kind of, and like many other people, we're all in the same boat here. They don't really know a lot of the new stuff. 
So other than just the basic advice of resting, hydrating, and like the little things that you did when you were young, when you got sick, unfortunately, that was how I got better in time. Right. Owen, what was your experience like? Um, It's kind of a mixture of a few of the different elements from both Lizzie and Abby's stories. Um, Owen Kelsey is originally from New Jersey. Now he works as a blacksmith at Colonial Williamsburg in Virginia. Um, I surprised my mom for her birthday on March 12th. I went back to New Jersey and met up with all of our family for her birthday. And we were in Atlantic City. I started feeling sick around March 16th, March 17th. And I thought it might have been COVID-19. And um, that was from the cough and the, f- the tiredness and the body shakes and trembling and the chills. And my parents were dubious. They, they didn't think that I had it. <laughs> Well, why did you think it was different than just a common cold or flu? It's that paranoia of hearing about it and hearing about the symptoms and just going on a checklist, you know, okay, check, check, check. These are all things that I'm experiencing. And I got really bad coughs. I couldn't breathe. And I stayed home the entire time I was sick. Um, I tried staying away from my family members as best as I could, but I knew that I was not doing a good job of self-quarantining. If I truly believed I had it, uh, it was not enough distance. And, and that ultimately proved true. Both my parents had it as well. And I had, you know, a fever that wasn't as bad as my father's, but our sickness, the three of us were different. Um, all, all three of us were different. Within your household? Within the household, yeah. My dad got sick after me, and all he had was fatigue and a slight cough. Um, and um, um, I think they might have checked his temperature in a mild fever, maybe, initially. And this is a similarity in that he had that... it. it it kind of went away and then it kind of got worse aspect um, where he did end up in the hospital. Um, But my mother had terrible coughs and I still being sick, we were starting to isolate ourselves in the house. We, I think they finally started taking it seriously. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Once they got sick. (laughs) Once they got sick, which is the unfortunate thing for a lot of people. It's, it's a sad part of this too, is that you, you just don't believe that you can get it. Yeah. One thing that you touched on Owen that I want to follow up on is this idea of paranoia, um, this sort of mental state. Is that something that continues for you? And Absolutely. The, the, the mental aspect of this illness, I had hallucinations at night. I don't know if either of you had like fevered dream kind of feelings where 
you might have been awake, you might have been asleep, but you are now in this state of, uh, I don't know, it, it's definitely uncomfortable, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, and I felt well enough after, I think, two weeks after I, I didn't have a fever anymore. I waited two weeks to travel back to my house in Virginia. And I felt great. I wanted to, like, recover, and, and so I started biking and, and walking and, and trying to stay active, and that wiped me out. Hmm. Total fatigue, total loss of stamina, where I would be in bed for a week after that, and that mental anxiety started to really creep in, where, okay, maybe this is still active, maybe I'm not better yet, and still following all the guidelines of, okay, I'm, I've, I've self-quarantined now, I made a doctor's appointment to get tested, and I had to wait until May to get an antibodies test, and that came back positive. Abby, can you relate to that sense of sort of hypervigilance about whether you might still have the virus, whether it's completely gone away, or there's those sort of lingering mental impacts? For some reason, I was afraid to sleep at night. It was easier to sleep during the day. Um, it was a fear that if I fall asleep at night, I may not wake up, especially when you're laying down and you have all that congestion and you can't breathe and the coughing. Um, not knowing if you're going to wake up in the morning is very stressful. And I think that's what really took a toll on me. I think the hardest part was me was it was nice that I had at least my fiance was here with me, but I'm just kind of a baby in the fact that I just really wanted my mom. Like mm -hmm. I, that was just yeah. torture for me not having, like I would call her multiple times a day and just like, I don't know, sounds so sad, but just like cry to her. And it was just like when I finally was negative and like had a few days off when I got after returning to work and I had a few days off, it was just so great to finally go home and see her. I just like, I'll always remember that hug for the rest of my life. Well, your, your talk about your mom and how that gave you comfort uh, made me wonder what gave Abby and Owen comfort, what they felt like they really needed and maybe they got or didn't get when they were going through it. Abby? My comfort is when I heard my children. I couldn't see them, but I can hear them. We absolutely didn't allow the baby in the room, but that also was my heartbreaker when I heard her cry for mommy. Um, it also at one time broke my husband down very bad. When I started getting better, um, I held her at the door for him to see, and he just started crying. It, it was pretty rough, but the comfort was having my four children and my husband knowing that I needed to get better to provide for them again. Oh, and I want to go back to you and talk about where you find comfort now, because it sounds like you still feel afraid. Um, I think I was dealing with it much better uh, a couple months ago. And by much better, it wasn't that <laughs> it wasn't that it was, you know, a, a walk in the park. <laughs> um, I had different ways of trying to stay positive. I was sending videos to family members, um, just giving them updates, or just being goofy, trying to do keep yourself happy that way, or um, playing games with your family or friends. I tried to treat tendonitis in my arm, but um, the steroid that I was given for it produced 
a lot of the same symptoms of COVID. So I had a total meltdown of like, it's happening again, where I have this awful chest pain and I couldn't sleep. Um, so like I, I had ups and downs with my mental aspect of, of life. And so they, they eventually put me on a low dose of an anti-anxiety medication that I'm on right now. And that seems to have really helped try to be level and, and, and not be so wildly reactionary to this like hyper focus of like every little health issue that might come up that makes you feel like it's related to COVID again, or it's COVID again, or um, you never got over it and, and it's, it's back. And going back to work is certainly a, a huge mental benefit to have some kind of regularity to your life, to be able to see people again. Self-isolation is, is a difficult mental state to put yourself into. I don't think anybody has uh, an easy time being alone. I can kind of relate with Owen with that. Like, it's not easy after and you start to recover. You still have that fear. It sounds like what you're also saying is it was really hard to get back to normal because there isn't really a normal to go back to. Lizzie, what about with, with you and, and how your life is going right now? And did COVID cause you to reassess anything? That's a hard question. I think kind of being, not to be too cheesy, but being the patient, it definitely taught me to really listen to the patient when they have questions and really take their account seriously and advocate for them because I went to a bunch of different doctors and some of them didn't really care and just kind of told me like, oh, just take it easy, blah, blah, blah. And, and in the end, that really was the truth. But then I had one urgent care doctor that I went to when I kind of got sick again and I'll never forget her. She really just, she tested me for a whole bunch of things. And luckily they all came back negative, but she, she said, what if it's not? What if your immune system was down and really weak and you caught some crazy virus that really should not be overlooked? And I just, I'll never forget that. And I hope to be the type of provider that she is to really just work hard and not just overlook things. For anyone listening out there, because more people are going to get this, more and more people are going to continue to get COVID. If you could give just one piece of advice for someone that, that has just been diagnosed with COVID or just started feeling symptoms, what would it be? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> That's okay. It's an honest answer. Yeah. That and, is and an I honest answer. To, to, to each individual, it's so unique that they, we can describe symptoms that are common and related, but your personal experience is so vastly different than mine, than to yours, than to anyone else's. And the difficulty in, in your story, Abby, about letting people take care of you, I think that's a tremendous message, is that we all have to have that vulnerability to let people take care of you in our greatest time of need. And, and I think that is a huge aspect to this. Abby, what do you think about the fact that, that Owen, it seems like he got something out of you telling your story about what it takes to, to get through this? I think it's wonderful because um, through all of it, it was a learning process for myself. And 
letting my guard down and to let people come in into my home and to help me was the hardest. I mean, the hardest part. It's hard to let down your guard. It's really hard. But once I got it, I understood that, you know, okay, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. And it also taught me that as soon as I was able to donate, I donated plasma. And it's the best feeling in the world. I want to get emotional again, Jesus. <laughs> but it was an emotional feeling to help and to be thankful was my way of letting my guard down, but also saying, you know what? Someone helped me during my um, hardship. I'm going to help somebody else. I don't care what I have to do to do it. Liz, do you have a piece of advice for somebody that was just diagnosed or is going through COVID? I guess just try to be patient and take care of yourself. That was the hardest thing for me is, like I kept saying, all those tests that keep coming back, I would just keep getting frustrated and frustrated. And all I wanted to do, like everybody during the time, was just get out of the house or do something. Or I just wanted to go for a walk or a run. And every time I did something small like that, it would just tax me so much and I would feel worse the next day. And everybody around me just told me to stop and slow down. And I did. And that was when I would start to feel better. So I think just for people just to take the time like we've all been doing and stay home, take care of yourself and just know you'll get through it. You, you never think you're going to live through a, a pandemic. You know, you read about them in history and, and then to live through one <laughs> uh, or to see one going on um, is it, it makes you appreciate the size of our our world and how many people are on this planet and just three of us talking about this there's thousands of stories out there just like this or totally different i i love that aspect of if we can give people some comfort in this way to talk about our stories or to share and commiserate about how difficult and and how awful this is people ought to know and when you when you just see someone who just doesn't believe in it or just doesn't have the respect of their fellow persons around them that they don't wear a mask that they don't observe any guidelines that they're believing that this is a, a trampling of their rights uh, as individuals in this country and and it, it makes me sad to think that there could be that deficiency of compassion and sympathy for our fellow man and fellow woman and it just I think that's also a stark reminder to me that like we still have so much to learn and so much to grow as a community in small ways, as a society in large ways. And, and that's a big thing for me. Eight months since the coronavirus arrived in the United States, scientists still have a lot to figure out about the disease. One of the hardest things for many is not only worrying about whether they'll contract the virus, but whether they'll be one of the unlucky ones that don't survive. And even for those who do, there's emerging evidence that some will have long-term health problems, and others may get the virus again. For Abby, Lizzie, and Owen, COVID has left a lasting impression, and they're thankful for every day they're COVID-free. We're survivors. I thank God for it, I, you know, and that's all I can say. This episode was produced by Rachel Welford and Vika Aronson and edited by Erica R. Hendry and Emily Carpeau. Production assistance from Maya Lene Bura. 
Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Our thanks to Travis Dobb, Vanessa Dennis, and James Williams. Our executive producer is Sarah Just. You can follow all of our coverage on air and on our website, pbs.org newshour. Thanks for listening.